I want to turn to Psalm 65, verses 9 through 13. You take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The river of God has, I want you to say this, plenty of water. I'm going to say that again. The river of God has plenty. In case you're wondering if God ever is about to run out of supply, I want you to know the river of God has plenty of water. There have been some disputes in California recently and even other parts of the world as they have fought over the allocation of water rights. And I just want you to know that will never happen with God's river. It provides a bountiful harvest of grain, for you have ordered it so. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. You soften the earth with showers and bless its abundant crops. And then I love this verse. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. You might not realize what that means. Because of the fact that properties were handed down generationally, from one generation to the other, fathers, sons, and all the way down to grandsons and great-grandsons for many generations would form the same piece of land. If in times of hardship they sold that property, there was even a provision that was in the law that in the 50th year, that property had to return back to its owners, original owners, because it was their land as a possession and a gift from God when they came out of Egypt into the promised land, it was their heritage. So when it mentions that, that even the hard pathways overflow with abundance, what you have to see in your mind is that year after year, decade after decade, century after century, they have formed the same ground, planted the same or similar crops. And they have left pathways where the farmers would walk to be able to get into the fields because they're not going to walk over their crop and destroy the crop they're trying to raise to get out there and work in the fields. So there would be designated pathways. We would call them sidewalks if it, we were talking about cities, but in that case, they're, they're lanes. But over the centuries, the ground would become compacted and, and beaten down and it would become firm and solid after generations and generations of feed and livestock have, have trodden over it. God said, I'm going to send you such a harvest that not only will I crown the year with a harvest, but even the hardened pathways are going to suddenly explode in abundance. Amen. That's what that verse literally means. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. And then this verse that I used yesterday in the leadership meeting, and, and I've used it this morning in every service. I think yesterday I'd been reading in the 10th chapter of Hosea, and it inadvertently wrote Hosea and the PowerPoint. That was not correct as I was getting it ready. But it's the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. I preached on this, it must have been 15 years ago. I want you to listen to this. God is talking to the nation of Israel that have been through reversals and delays, delays in building the house of God. And he said, now consider from this day and upward, from this day, I will bless you. Most of you in your translations that are newer translations, because this is the King James, it will say from this day forward. That is not what the original Hebrew says. The original Hebrew says upward, and that's why it was translated that way. Of course, upward carries with it the sense of forward momentum. And so the translators, in attempting to break this down to us and make it easier for us to understand, used vernacular that we would use every single day and say that I'm moving forward from this day forward. I will bless you. It's not what God is saying. And the reason that this is important is because I have been through times in my life where I've gone the other direction. I've gone backward. There have been even times in my life when I have gone down. I've lost ground. Can I hear somebody say amen? I'm not just talking about down. How many of you have ever been down, Scooby-Doo, down, 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 you know? 
You know what I mean? Way down. Amen. Amen. God said, I want you to know that from this time forward, I'm plotting a new progression, a new graph. I'm projecting and, and preparing a new cart, chart for your life, a new course. And from this day forward, I will bless you. Father, I pray that you will speak to us right now. Help us to understand and have the spiritual sensitivity to be able to discern what is happening in these very significant days in this new year, especially as they relate to Christian Tabernacle and its membership and its families, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Shouted again, Amen. I want to declare today that something has happened. More than just the changing of the calendar. It's not just been that the calendar has rolled over from 2016 to 2017. There has been a shift in the heavenlies over Christian Tabernacle and because of that over its members and their families. The word that I have for this year is unashamed, undaunted, and unstoppable. Amen. That describes what we're, the season we're coming into. I never like to enter into a new year until I've had a chance to fast and pray and seek God for what his word for, uh, to us will be for the forthcoming year. When I say unashamed, I mean, I mean this in a couple of different ways. We have gone through a season in this nation where it seems like Christians are afraid to be what they're supposed to be. A lot of it has to do with this whole idea of acceptance and political correctness. You go to churches that will not preach the Bible. They only preach excerpts from it. And I don't believe anybody should preach the Bible with harshness or meanness or judgmentalism, never. But the Bible is the liberating word of God, and it is the balm of Gilead. It is what heals people that are diseased with sin. To fail to declare the whole counsel of God is to be guilty of what the king did with the writings of the scroll of Jeremiah. He would read them, and then he would take his penknife and cut off a page and wad it up and throw it into the fire that was burning on the hearth. Many churches, many Christians, many believers have become ashamed to be who they're supposed to be. I want to tell you this is our year to be unashamed. Can I hear somebody say amen? To stand up and be who we were meant to be. Also, the reason that we have been so affected by the opinions of others is because all of us have dealt with shame in the course of our lives. That's one of the residual and leftover effects of original sin. I want you with me to make this declaration. Father, say it. Father, I declare that upon having learned that you have accepted me, I can make it if nobody else accepts me at all. You're the one that matters most. Can I hear somebody in the building shout amen? The one who matters has said yes to you. The one who matters loves you. The one who matters says, I find no fault in you because I have imputed my righteousness to you. We're leaving the shame in 2016. The word undaunted simply means undeterred from purpose, unshaken, committed to purpose. Nothing's going to slow me down. Amen. And quite frankly, I want the enemy to hear this one. Amen. If you couldn't stop us with everything else you did up till now, and we're still going on, I want you to know we're unstoppable, not because of who we are, but because of who he is inside of us. Amen. Through Christ, I am more than an overcomer. To be honest with you, we have experienced delays. We have experienced delays most significantly and more recently even in this building campaign. As a pastor, I'm very sensitive to what I believe people are thinking. My educational background is in psychology as well as theology, so I know enough about people to understand that whenever you begin to tell people that certain things are going to happen and they don't happen, they begin to wonder what the reason is. Sunday after Sunday, we've gotten up here throughout this whole process, and Brother Anthony, Pastor Anthony, our men's pastor and one of our board members and member of our financial committee, 
has gotten up here to share with us what the banks have required of us. We have met every single requirement. And then they would come back and say, after they promised us the loan would be given upon meeting that requirement, they said, no, now you've got to do this. And five different times they moved the goalpost. I've told you that so much you're probably bored of hearing it. But the reason that it is important that we communicate this with you and you understand this is because I know that human nature is going to make you sit out there and wonder what's the real reason for the delay. Is there something pastors not telling us? And then strangely, right out of the blue, a bank that I honestly did not even know existed in this city. I didn't. Calls Brenda, the CFO, who's here right here on the front pew, and says, we hear you folk are wanting to build a building. We would like to come in and, and maybe sit down and talk about partnering with you. And she, they, they came, and she and Anthony met with them. And because the first bank that, that had put us through delays, remember, we were delayed a year and a half with them. That's how long we were delayed with them. One and a half years. Because they had required so much, the only thing they hadn't asked for was my shoe size. (laughs) Brenda was able to give them a prepared package of material right there that answered every question they had. The very next day, they sent us a letter of interest that if we would sign, they would begin the loan process and see if we would qualify and pass their their loan executive loan committee. We didn't sign it right away. The reason we didn't is because we thought the other bank was about about ready to. They were telling us that if we met this condition, they were the, they were going to give the loan. We met the condition, so we called to tell them this rather than signing the letter from the second bank, and they wouldn't even return the phone call. It was just an amazing thing. And you know, we understand how banks work, and I don't have any animosity or, or any hard feelings toward anybody, but let me tell you what banks do. You put your money on deposit there, and they loan your money out and make money on your money. And they kept wanting us to build our accounts, and, but they never did intend to ever loan us the money. They ended up coming in the office and telling us in so many words that very thing. They they weren't going to do it. Here's the point that I'm making. It took them a year and a half to finally come around after we met the last condition, and they said, we want now to impose another restriction. We want you to raise another $400,000 or $500,000 because we decided we want you to bond this program, and that's a lot of money that you get nothing for. And I told Tony before they even came in, when I found out they weren't returning the call, I said, sign that letter and send it to this second bank. Do you know that a week and a half after we signed it, what it had taken this other bank a year and a half and they still hadn't done, this bank had already approved the loan in a week and a half. Now, I'm mentioning this because when you're in are a part of a covering, you experience what that covering goes through. During the same season, a lot of our business people have gone through delays, and, and they, 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 I've talked to a number of them. Some of them have gone through setbacks, and, and unreasonable demands have been made, and, and they've, they've, some of them have struggled as well. But here's what you need to know. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying no more delays. I need somebody to say... No more delays. Say it. No more delays. That's not just in a bank loan. That signified a shift in the heavens. We met with the with the, the chairman of the bank on Friday, and they told us on Friday that they'll have the loan at the latest approved by Valentine's Day. Their intention is to try to get it done by the end of the month, but there's a lot of legalese in these things, and for their lawyers to go through it, they can't speed their lawyers up, so if it takes a little while, they said at the latest by Valentine's Day, this loan will be dry, inked and dried, amen, and you know what that means? We will be begin to build before the month of February is over. We will, we will start. Of course, there's land to be cleared, and that's a part of the process and everything else. I mentioned that because I don't know where your delay has been. I don't know if your delay is in building a, a home with integrity. I don't know if your delay has been in your finances. I don't know if your delay has been in your healing. I don't know if your delay has been in growing your business or your anointing or your ministry. But the word that I've come to tell you is something shifted over this congregation. No more delays. It's now time to move forward. Can somebody shout hallelujah? 
Amen. You see, sometimes situations can be very complex and require a very complex solution. Other times they're extraordinarily simple. Uh, for example, you may not remember this, but it was announced when NASA first started sending up astronauts to their consternation, they quickly discovered that ballpoint pens did not work in outer space. Do anybody remember that? The reason was is because it requires gravity to make ink flow in a ballpoint pen. For the same reason that if you put a piece of paper, like you want to make a note and you hold a piece of paper up against the wall and you tilt the pen in this direction like this and you're writing up, you, you write a few letters and then suddenly there's no more ink and you have to find a way to get that pen vertically oriented again where the ink will flow naturally and gravity will allow it to get to the nib of the, of the pen. So they ran into this problem. And being Americans like we are, they proceeded to throw billions of dollars at the problem. So literally, after several billion dollars, they literally developed a pen. They spent a decade doing it. They developed a pen that writes in zero gravity. It can write upside down, underwater, on almost any surface, including glass, and at temperatures ranging from below freezing to 300 degrees centigrade. The Russians had the same problem. They used a pencil. <laughs> I'm not making that up. You can either search for complex solutions or easy ones. The God that I serve is a God that has seasons set aside when things are designated to happen. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything there is a season, there is a time for every purpose under heaven. He is also a God that when your season comes, it doesn't matter how dark or gloomy or pessimistic or how bad the situation may be, Daniel 2 and 21 says he changes the times and the seasons. The word that I've come to speak over this house today is that God has changed the season over Christian tabernacle. Amen. He's changed the season. This is the way that it works. When God changes the season over a church, he also at that same time changes the season over everything that's in that church. Every member that is covered by that church. Every family that is connected to that church experiences a change of season. It's not unlike what happens in the United States. If the country goes through difficult times, our families go through difficult times. Everything goes through seasons in life. That's an irrevocable law of life. Marriages go through seasons. Families go through seasons. Your finances go through th seasons. Even your health goes through seasons. You talk to any doctor, they will tell you that your body experiences biorhythms that go through cycles every single season or month. There's a cycle that men and women both experience in the course of their health. When a nation goes into hardship and difficulty, it is not only the ungodly in that nation that are affected. It also affects the people of God. Our nation began to go through some things. We actually began to try to build, as you're well aware, just to give you some historical context for what I'm preaching. We wanted to build way back in November, uh, way back in, in uh, the year 2008. We had just got started when the economy fell apart across our nation. Churches went into foreclosure all over the nation. Did you know that one of the largest churches in this city, their building was foreclosed on? I don't want to call their name to embarrass the pastor because he's a friend of mine. One of the most famous churches and well-known of all churches in the United States of America is the Crystal Cathedral in uh, California, and it was foreclosed on. You may not know this. It, that, that's the church, Robert Schuler, Hour of Power. You remember him? He's going to be with the Lord now. But Robert Schuler, that's where his ministry was based. He's deceased now. Do you know that that building was foreclosed on? It is no longer owned by that congregation. It is now owned by the Catholic Diocese. Churches across the nation were foreclosed on, laid off staff. Our nation went into economic decline. 
It was actually predictable that this might happen because the result of two wars, the Afghanistan war and the, and the Iraqi war, the average American family was spending $2,000 a year to fight that war. That's what our tax dollars were doing. $2,000 a year. You do that for 15 years? And we're talking about a sizable amount of money. And so the economy started coming unraveled. And you know what happened? Yeah, we had saints of God lost their homes. Cars repossessed, lost jobs. Because whenever leadership in a country makes decisions that are not fiscally sound or wise decisions, they affect the membership of that nation. In similar fashion, when churches come into seasons... Their membership either gets blessed or they're held back according to the season that that particular church is going through. There's something that has happened here in the United States. And and I know a lot of people have grave concerns about, about the new president coming in, but I just want to tell you this. We elected a president, but we still have the same king. Can I hear an amen? Because even during the middle of the crisis that was, we went through for the last number of years, I don't see anybody, it looks like they lost any weight out there to me. You understand? Because he is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. While we are affected by the decisions made by leadership, ultimately, he is king. He doesn't have to be elected. In fact, Paul talked about him as being the king eternal. Amen. So I don't care who's sitting on the presidential seat right now. I can tell you this. There's a God that rules above all of that. And when he changes the times and the seasons, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because he will work in the middle of a people and cause them to experience favor that is unexplainable. Amen. Another way to liken this is to what happened to Israel when they left Egypt. When Israel went to Egypt, you remember Joseph became elevated to be prime minister of Egypt. Because of his connection, that was a divine connection, in fact, he made it possible for Israel to enter into a remarkable season of prosperity, even in a hostile land. However, the scripture says that Joseph died, and there arose another Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And Israel was beaten down by people that had become suspicious of them. The Egyptian people began to fear them because they were multiplying and they were blessed and they had the divine favor of God upon them. Oh, I just want to tell you right now, if that upset you to see me blessed, you just get ready to get upset because that's what happened to Israel and Egypt. Egypt got upset when Israel was blessed and Pharaoh enslaved them. But through a process of divine intervention to fulfill the mandate God had for that nation, God sent Moses and they were delivered out of Egypt in one night. How long does it take God to change everything? One night. Tomorrow about this time. God could cause the windows of heaven to open and everything you've been struggling with you can have in abundance before tomorrow this time. Do you hear what I'm saying? I need somebody to shout breakthrough. Would you do it? Somebody say no more delays. When you look at Israel, you see a principle begin to emerge here. Amen. Every family in Israel was affected by what God did for the nation. When you look at the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 38, we call Israel a nation. Would it surprise you to know what God called it? In Acts 7 and 38, God called Israel the church in the wilderness. What we call a nation, God called a church. In the Greek, it's the Greek word ekklesia, or some say ecclesia, And it literally is the very same word that every other place in the New Testament where you see the word church, it is the word used that is translated church. God said, you think you see a nation. What I'm looking at is a church. And when a church moves into a season of blessing, every member in that church moves into a season of blessing. That is because of the power and the principle of spiritual coverings. 
I've taught on this before, but again, it's been many, many years. I even have a book out there that I wrote on it if you want to follow along with some of this. In the book of Numbers, chapter number 19, we see the principle outlined that describes the power or impact of spiritual coverings. Beginning in verse 14, and before I read, I will say this. There are a lot of things that you read in the Old Testament, particularly things that have to do with Levitical laws and ceremonies and procedures and processes that many people today question the reason behind them. What they need to understand is not only was there, as it were, the face value or purpose of that particular thing, every one of those things also had spiritual significance. They were describing in terms that Israel could understand something that had spiritual typology connected to it. And in these laws that I'm about to read, they may sound strange and archaic, but there is a principle that I want to draw out of this. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. The word tent here refers to their home. They were a nomadic people. It was their house. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. If someone dies in the house, everything in that house is unclean for seven days. And every, notice, open vessel, this is very important, which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. If it doesn't have a covering, death contaminates it and gets into it. Whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or the bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Remember, this was ancient Israel. People could be killed in battle. There had been horrific battles fought during the years. They could be murdered by wandering brigands, um, people that, that were cutthroats and robbers. And if in your journey through the wilderness or through some area you happen to sit down to rest and inadvertently you put your hand on the ground and you felt something and turned and looked and there peering from beneath the soil was part of a human bone. You were automatically unclean for seven days. And this was the ceremony for purification. You had to take the ashes of a heifer burnt for purification from sin. There was a red heifer and the specifications were so demanding that, that they were extremely rare in all of the history of Israel from, from Moses all the way to the time of Christ, they had only offered seven red heifers for this particular purpose. They would burn the red heifer until it was completely disintegrated and turned into to carbon or into ash. They would store it. And then when someone became unclean for whatever reason, such as someone died in the house or, or someone out in a journey touched a dead bone or whatever, or an insect died and fell into a vessel, that was another way that a vessel could become unclean if it didn't have a cover. You could go to the priest and he would take water and it was very important. It had to be water drawn from a moving or running source. It could not be a steel pond. couldn't be a basin of water. It had to be water that was flowing, signifying the movement or the progression of cleansing, a live, vibrant thing, not a stagnant, dead thing. And they would mix ashes in that water, and then they would take hyssop. Most of us don't know what hyssop is, but if you will Google the Wailing Wall and see, look at a picture of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, it was a weed, and there are in these pictures of the Wailing Wall, these weeds growing out of the crevices between the stones of the Wailing Wall, that's hyssop. Hyssop was a purgative. It was a form of laxative. It would, it would cause inner cleansing, and they would dip this per hyssop into these, these, this water that is mixed with the ashes and sprinkle it specifically on the third day. And now we begin to see some of the redemptive connotations because it was on the third day day that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Signifying that our cleansing occurred because of what he did on the third day. And on the seventh day, seven being the number of completion, 
They were clean, clean, considered cleansed at evening, not during the day, not at midnight. Our day ends at midnight and a new calendar day begins. Why the evening? Because in Israel, the day ends at six o'clock in the evening. Literally in the evening, it began the eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And God is saying when your life becomes messed up, when you get death in the pot, as it were, death gets in the house, your life becomes contaminated, your spirit becomes defiled. This is how you can get it clean. I can make you brand new. I can bring you to a place of new beginnings. Amen. And this is what this signified. It's actually referring to us. And the Bible said that the man literally had to go and bathe or the person had to bathe in water and at evening he would be clean. But the man who is unclean and who does not purify himself that person shall be cut off from the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. How does this relate? How does this relate to me and my family? How can you say that the season has shifted over Christian tabernacle and therefore over me and over my family as well? I'll tell you this, because we are, we are the vessels that the Bible is talking about. We were created as vessels to give him glory and honor. What we do, we don't do to get honor for ourselves. We do to give him glory. No matter how good you preach or sing or play an instrument or how well you serve, all of it is ultimately designed to draw attention to him, not to the vessel. Can I hear somebody say hallelujah? It's the vessel that gives God the honor. And in a great house, Paul said there are some vessels that are created for honor, but there are others that have become vessels of dishonor. And now Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Here is what you need to know, that just like in ancient Israel, when something died, that everything within the tent that wasn't covered became contaminated. There is death working around us every single day. The enemy comes to steal. Say it with me. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's death. There's death at work around you. There's death at work in your finances right now. Some of you are concerned about finances that have gone into attrition. I'm going to tell you how to turn that around. Amen. Some of you are concerned because you realize the death that's at work in your own body. As you see, as age begins to encroach upon you and your health is slowly being taken away, death is at work. For some of you, death is at work in your marriage. Some of you, death in your children. For some of you, you've been fighting death tooth and toenail in your business and you say how do I get rid of this I want to tell you that when God changes the season over a house when God changes the season over a church you can walk away from all of that and come into a new season of prosperity and favor can I hear somebody say amen amen the spiritual application is tremendous it is important. You say, why are you teaching this? I want to share it with you for this teaching with you for a couple of reasons. Number one, everything in the kingdom of God is appropriated through faith. You don't earn it. You're not good enough to get it. You can't walk up to God and say, I've been a good guy. Give it to me. Uh-uh. Everything in the kingdom of God is appropriated through one means only, and that is through the demand that faith places upon the anointing. Somebody in the building ought to say hallelujah. Jesus said there were many lepers in the days of Naaman. But only one was cleansed. Was God playing favorites? No. There was only one that placed a demand upon the anointing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He said there were many widows in the days of the widow of Zarephath, but there was only one that was sustained. Did God not care about the others? That wasn't it. God loves everybody equally. There was only one that placed a demand upon the anointing. And how do you place a demand upon the anointing? Through faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. I want to teach this today so you can walk out of here knowing that the season is different now, but then do something about it. Turn to somebody and say, you can't carry the old paradigms into this new year. 
We didn't just go through a year and a half of delays. Our nation has been through eight or nine years of delays. That's long enough for attitudes to set in, mindsets. That's long enough for people to develop thought processes that, that make them accept delay as a natural part of life. What I'm telling you is as we move into this new year, you got to shake all that off. You got to go into this year saying God's changed something and I'm not carrying the same attitude into the new year that I've had for the last nine years. It's a new season and it's a new time and something is about to break through in my life. Woo! Hallelujah. There are numerous examples of spiritual coverings and how they affect things that are placed under them. I think of the nation of Israel as one of the primary examples. When Israel left out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. The Red Sea was in front of them, the mountain range on the the left side and the desert on the right side. And guess what was coming behind them? (laughs) Pharaoh and his army. Roaring up on their chariots, mighty men of war, ready to destroy the nation. My old grandmother used to talk about being between the devil and the deep blue sea. And it took me years to figure out that was actually a biblical reference. She was talking about Israel when Pharaoh was behind them and they were at the Red Sea. They couldn't go forward. And do you know what God did? God caused a cloud. It was the manifest glory of his presence to come sit between Israel and Pharaoh's army that night. Here's what was mysterious about it all. On Pharaoh's side of the cloud, it was pitch dark. On Israel's side of the cloud, it was bright light. Amen. Oh, let me tell you what's going on. God knows how to make a difference between you and others who are not serving him and bless you in the middle of everything that's going on in this life. Somebody in the building, I've got a word for you. I feel it burning in my spirit. As Israel began to travel, guess what happened? That cloud went before them and stood over them. I have never seen that depicted by an artist the way it really was. Every picture I've ever seen has always got it wrong. They always show the cloud. It was called a pillar of a cloud, but they show it vertical. I guess because you used the word pillar, they thought that meant vertical, but that's not what it meant. You ask any Jewish scholar, and they will tell you that the cloud was horizontal over Israel. They were in the middle of a desert that gets up to 130 degrees during the summer and has been known to reach temperatures in excess of 140. It is one of the most inhospitable and hostile environments on the face of the planet. But God put that cloud over them and gave them air conditioning before it was ever invented and lowered the temperature to make it livable, amen, for the nation. And then at night, I don't know if you spend any time in deserts or not, but I have. I've stayed in that same desert over there as long as three weeks at the time. And at night, the temperature plummets. There can be a a variance in temperature from the daytime to the nighttime of 70 degrees. It can plunge 70 degrees at night, maybe even more if it's been exceptionally hot during the day. And I don't care who you are, you can't adjust to those kind of vast extremes in temperature. Your body says it's cold, and you look at the thermometer, and it's still 60 degrees. That's not so cold, but 70 degrees ago, amen, when it was daytime, uh, your body was saying it was hot. Now it can't adjust to that change, amen. You would think that you would be welcoming a a temperature of 60 degrees, but you're shivering. You know what God did? The same cloud that air conditioning. Israel by day gave them central heating at night and turned into a pillar of fire. I'm talking to somebody right now. Not only that, everything under that cloud, God caused the laws of nature to be suspended for the purpose of blessing those under that cloud. Oh, hear what I mean. I'm saying. Normally, what happens is your clothes wear out. Do you realize that for 40 years, Israel never had to go to Macy's? 
Do you realize that for 40 years they never placed an order through Amazon? Do you realize that UPS never made a delivery for 40 years because God did not allow their clothes to wear out and their shoes to wax old? Normally that would not have happened. If you've ever done physical manual labor, whether it's for someone else or even in your own yard, working around your own home in the summertime and every stitch is drenched and you're wet with perspiration, you know what that does to the fabric of your clothing. It wears it out. Perspiration is acidic in nature and what happens is, is that it begins, to, it begins to destroy the fabric of the material of your clothes. But God suspended that rule as well. And for 40 years, Israel never had to worry about clothes. Not only that, they would get up in the morning and there were supernatural provisions as long as they were under that cloud. There was manna lying all over the ground. Hello, somebody. And not only that, I love this. You've heard me say it before. One of my favorite parts of Israel being in the wilderness is that there was a rock. And it began to, when Moses spoke to it, it began to flow with water. <laughs> and this is what is astonishing. Geometrically, that rock was only a certain size. It only had certain dimensions. Were it hollow, it could only have contained so many cubic feet of water. But for 40 years, that rock followed them everywhere they went. Under that cloud, even the law of gravity was suspended for that rock. And that rock followed them gushing out so much water that Isaiah said, a river flowed in the wilderness and the, wil the desert blossomed like a rose. I've got a word for somebody this year because you're connected to this covering. Your desert is getting ready to blossom like a rose. You've been walking through some dry places. Whoa. I've got another word for somebody. Some of you have been walking around rattling your tin cup and shaking your empty canteen. You're looking for the river. This year, you're not going to have to go looking for the river. The river's going to follow you. There's something happening at Christian Tabernacle. We have changed seasons. We've changed seasons. Amazingly. The enemy couldn't touch them as long as they were under that cloud. There was something about that cloud that for the enemy, and the enemy lurked in the wilderness all around them because they didn't want them to pass through. They set ambushes for them. But as long as you were under that cloud, the enemy couldn't touch you. Where do you think Moses, Moses is the one that wrote Psalms 91. You know that, right? Where do you think Moses got this? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What do you think he was talking about when he said, a thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near your dwelling as long as you're under the cloud, as long as you got your family under the covering, the enemy can't touch you. Woo! That's a word to dads in this house right now. I want to talk to some parents here. Keep your family under the covering. Keep them under the cloud. Oh, my God. Kids getting hooked on drugs. Children committing suicide. Craziness going on. There's death all around us. There's been so much negativity that I think people are acting out the negativity now. What happened in Chicago with those four young people and that one mentally incapacitated young man? You know what flared that up? I don't think that ever would have happened if there hadn't been so much negativity pouring through the media. And you turn on the media, it's just junk, 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 junk. Listen, that's not me. I'm under a covering. I've got God watching over me. Hear what I'm saying. I've got God watching over me and my family. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I look at the story of Naomi in the book of Ruth. It is one of the most compelling stories. 
because it clearly depicts the effectiveness of a spiritual covering. Naomi is from the house of from Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, Bethelham, Bethlehem. It literally means the house of bread. Bethel's the house of God, but when you put that suffix on the end of it, it becomes the house of God that has bread, or the house of bread. Is what it means in a colloquial sense, and every everything goes through seasons. God said that in the book of Genesis when he told Noah after the flood, he said as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, there will be summer and winter, there will be cold and there will be heat. Everything goes through seasons. There's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gather stones, a time to cast stones away. Ecclesiastes, the preacher, makes it so clear there are seasons. Well, churches go through seasons. The problem is, is that many of us have developed a consumer mentality toward God. Like when Jerry was bringing me to church this morning. <laughs> she said, do you want to stop at Whataburger? Because I usually stop. I've got to have a little something with the medication I take in the morning. And I said, no, let's go to that famous French restaurant just down the road called Les Jacques in the Box. You know, we'll go to that one instead. And uh, so we went to there instead. And... Uh, and I, I was being a consumer. Today I want this. Today I want that. Tomorrow I want something else, you know. And people do that with churches. I'm going to move and build me a house over here and, and because I like that area and it's miles away and I'm going to find me a church over there. I don't think you're supposed to shop for a church the way you would shop for where you're going to get your breakfast. I'm serious. The Bible said God places us in families, places us. God places us in families. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. In the years I've been here, I've never asked anybody to leave a church and come here. You know why? Because I don't want to be responsible for what happens to them if they get out from underneath that covering and become exposed. I don't. On the other hand, I'm telling you that if God has called you to be here, don't you let the attitude of this consumerism that has swept through the church like it has the world affect you either. You can't do that. You need to hear from God. And I'll tell you something else. If God has not placed you here, you don't need to be here. You need to be where you have been placed by God. Pray until you know where God wants you to be and then listen to God. Amen. Naomi looked at Bethlehem. They went through a, a drought and a season where there was no bread. And she said, I'm moving to Moab. And do you know that Moab was one of the arch rivals and enemies of ancient Israel? And in my mind, years ago, not having been to the Middle East at that time, this was many years ago, I could see her getting on a Continental Trailways bus and traveling all the way to Portland, Oregon. That wasn't what happened. First time I visited Israel, Jerry and I went, I was astonished when the guide told us that there was only 18 miles between Bethlehem and Moab. You don't have to move far to get out of the will of God. Just step out from underneath that covering just a little bit. And you're exposed to the attack of the enemy. And everything supernatural that was supposed to happen for you under that covering is no longer available to you. You find yourself out there doing it by yourself. And so Naomi moved down to Moab with her husband, her two sons. They were single. They got married in Moab, her, her boys did. And while she was there, because she got out from underneath her covering, the enemy, death, was working in the house. She was not covered. The pot didn't have a covering on it. She had left the covering behind and she lost her husband. He died. Lost her sons. They died. And she then one day heard that the cycle has reversed. And there's now bread in the house of bread. Oh. I got to stop. I got one minute left. So let me wrap this up. I, I could work on that one for a while. We've been through some cycles and some seasons. But it's our time now. Amen. There's bread in the house of bread. If you understand what I'm talking about. It's a new season. And, and she said, I'm moving back to Bethlehem. And she told her daughters, you stay here. And they said, no, we're going with you. And together, 
they went with her to the border between Israel and Moab. And she turned to them once again and she said, look, girls, I appreciate your faithfulness and loyalty to me, but I don't have any sons that I'm going to give birth to that will grow up and become your husbands. Go back. Build your life. And Arfa said, okay, I'm, I'm going. And she turned around and went back to her family. And she turned, Naomi turned to Ruth and said, you go as well. And Ruth famously stood and looked her mother-in-law in the eye and said, do not ask me to leave because I'm not going. I have seen something in you. Even when you have been out of the will of God, I would rather have what you have than be with my people who don't even have God at all. I would rather be connected to somebody who doesn't have all the favor they need than to be where there is no favor at all. I'm going with you. I want to know more about this God. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. And she went with Naomi. Now remember, Bethlehem is a small town. And so Naomi grew up with the people of that community, attended school with them. They were in her wedding. She was in theirs. And they look up one day, and they see this familiar but older lady come down that dusty road. And somebody said, isn't that? It sure looks like it could. Is that Naomi? And somebody said, I believe you're right. And they ran to meet her and said, Naomi, welcome home. And Naomi said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter. And she said, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. That's where a lot of children of God are right there. A lot of church members. They made decisions that where they got out from underneath the covering. And they turned and blamed God for their bad choices when they were no longer under the covering that he was trying to provide. Oh, hear what I say as I close. This is a new season and a new year and I'm coming to tell somebody that God is opening heaven over your life. We are going to see an acceleration of God's timetable. Can I hear somebody shout amen? Tell somebody the river is following me. I'm not going to have to follow the river anymore. The river is following me. The river is coming looking for me. Stand with me. There are different types of coverings. There are blood coverings. There are prayer coverings. There are coverings of grace. There are love coverings. There are coverings of the anointing. There are coverings of glory. There are ministry coverings. Actually, a ministry covering is made up of the six coverings that precede that one along with some additional things that make a ministry covering what it is. As we move into this new year, And God has changed the season over this church. I want you to be able to approach God in faith and place a demand on the anointing. And say, God, by revelation, I understand where I am right now. Something has changed.